You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. We are studying the book of Acts, which is really an exciting book. And we're early on, we're going to study chapter 3 today. Next week, we'll study chapter 4. Next week is a fifth uh, Sunday. And on fifth Sundays, we have uh, fam- what we call family worship. So elementary students are with us in for the teaching. Uh, they're in for the whole time uh, next week if they are uh, in elementary school. So we'll be together. We'll be doing Acts 4 next week. So if you'd like to read ahead, perhaps with your kids or in a family devotion or something like that, looking at a f- uh, Acts 4, that could prepare you for next week. But today we're in Acts 3, and everything's great until next week. Um, the Holy Spirit has been poured out. Uh, people uh, from different parts of the world have heard the gospel and responded the church is together and getting along. They are uh, studying together, praying together, selling things and providing for one another. There's this beautiful fellowship that they're experiencing. Signs and wonders are happening. God is bringing people uh, into the church. So we read that last week, just this sort of uh, snapshot of what was going on. And uh, chapter 3, amazing things continue to happen, but it's the event we're reading about today that's going to bring persecution that will ultimately scatter the church outside of Jerusalem. But today we're going to look at two things in chapter 3. We're going to look at a great miracle, and then we're going to look at a greater miracle. So there's really two miracles, one very obviously is a miracle, uh, and the second one perhaps not so obvious, but it is a greater miracle. So we're going to read verses 1 to 10 to start with. We'll talk about that, then we'll read verses 11 through 26. So let's listen together to this account from God's holy word uh, about his power. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver And gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So a little bit of the context of what's going on here. We read at the beginning that Peter and John are going up to the temple at the um, uh, at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which would be 3 p.m. This was the time when the early evening or the second sacrifice of the day was offered in the temple. And so uh, they're going up. There's prayer around that time. They're going up for prayer. Now, you may say, what are they doing in the temple? 
because Jesus very clearly uh, makes the point that the temple and its sacrifices are obsolete uh, at his death because his death makes atonement for those who believe in him. Peter and John believe in him. And so what are they doing in the temple? Because uh, Jesus has made very clear that he fulfills all the uh, ceremonial worship within the temple. And actually, he fulfills the purpose of the temple himself. He says that he is the temple, that uh, he would uh, tear down the temple and raise it in three days, which he spoke of as his body, his death, and resurrection. Well, uh, at this time, this is probably when the Peter and John, the apostles, were gathering with the disciples, or the, the new followers of Jesus, um, there's 3,000 of them at this point. This is probably where they're praying together. This is probably where they're being taught. We read last week that they were being taught in the temple. They were gathering in the temple courts. Uh, and so they were probably praying and teaching the gospel, which is about to come to an end, doing that in the temple because they're going to get some significant uh, pushback. We're going to see. Uh, but anyway, as they're walking in to do what it is to teach and to pray together, they encounter a man who is described as lame. He is disabled, unable to walk. And he has to be, verse 2 says, carried there uh, because daily he would uh, beg for alms, which are uh, typically financial gifts for the poor, for the needy, could be food as well. But he's asking for money is typically what's going on uh, as people are coming and going from the temple. So the rabbis commended giving to the poor. And so if you were someone in this guy's situation, unable to work, um, you know, there, was, there wasn't perhaps some of the safety nets that we would have in our culture today. And so he is there, a, a good spot as people are coming in and leaving to pray and to worship, that is probably a good time to be uh, asking for help. Uh, so anyway, this is what he is doing. And as we think about this, we, we mustn't move too quickly beyond this man. Uh, you know, it's easy to say, well, this is a sign, and it is. He's healed as a sign of the power of Jesus, and Peter's about to stand up and preach the gospel. So very much like in Acts 2, there's this miracle, and then there's an explanation of the miracle. So he, the healing is a sign. I don't want to say that it's not, for it clearly is called a sign and a wonder. But, but there's more to it than that. I mean, this is a real guy with a real life. And we find out in chapter 4 that he's over 40 years old. They don't tell his exact age, but they say he's over 40 years old. So here's a guy for 40 plus years. This, this was a result of, of his entire life since birth. He has been immobile, completely dependent on others. He has to be carried to this spot each day to beg to survive. That is this man's existence and when he encounters the apostles here, and more importantly, encounters the power of Jesus, everything changes for this guy. Uh, he encounters Christ, and he is radically changed. It starts with them looking at him. And in verse 3, uh, he's asking to receive alms. Verse 4, Peter directed his gaze at him, and as did John, and said, look at us. Look at us. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I encounter uh, people asking for money, homeless people um, on the street or something, my tendency can be to look away sometimes, to not make eye contact, if, especially if I'm not going to help them. But if I am going to help them, uh, they may look away from me. It's this awkward sort of a thing where someone in need is asking for help. 
and we make a determination that whether the, the thing that would most help them would be to give them money or not, or to go buy some food and bring it to them, whatever the, whatever the way is we respond, uh, we can often, eye contact's not part of that. They said they fixed their gaze on one another. So there is this, they are locking eyes. It's just a picture of dignifying this man. They're not going to look the other way. They're not going to ignore him. They're not going to just treat him like something that's on the street, you know, some kind of uh, refuse. This is a man who's created in the image of God that matters. And so to dignify and to humanize his existence, they look at him and make eye contact with him. And then they say, we don't have what you're asking for, uh, verse 6 Uh, Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. This powerful word spoken to him, and he lifts him up, it says in the next verse. And for the first time in 40 plus years, this man walks. I mean, this man stands up. This has never happened to him. And when it happens, he just walks in the temple with them. He's walking. It says here that he is, he is walking, verse uh, 7. He took him by the hand, raised him up. His ankles and his feet were made strong, verse 8. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. Some of you know that song. You know, I'm not going to sing it, but that's a kid's song about walking and leaping and praising God. So this is, this is a spectacle. This, is not, this guy is not having a quiet moment of reflective gratitude uh, for what has happened on him. He is leaping. That means he's springing. He is springing around uh, all over the place. He is, uh, he is praising God, and everybody sees this. So his behavior is such that He's not just, praise God. I mean, he is bouncing, he is leaping, he is likely shouting, I can walk. Look what has happened to me. And they all see him and everybody realizes, wait, that's the guy I've seen every day my whole life, if you're under 40, my whole life I've seen that guy out there. What is he doing walking around, jumping around? And uh, verse 10 says that everyone sees this and they're filled with wonder and amazement as, as what has happened to him. Now, again, Peter is going to take a moment and preach the gospel in a very bold way in the next section, which we're about to read. Uh, but it's, it's important to note that this, this miracle points to the character of Jesus. If we don't see the character of the heart of the Lord in this, then we've really missed a central purpose for this great miracle that we read about. Um, his healing does set up preaching for Peter, but it's, it's more than that. This isn't just some stunt to gather a crowd. This isn't just... Um, like an opening illustration that's really moving, so that now I have your attention. This is a guy whose life has been changed because Jesus showed compassion upon him. Jesus touched him, moved by compassion. Remember, the very uh, first or second verse of the book of Acts says that this is all Jesus continued. Rather, Luke was what he began to do. This is all that he continued to do. So this is Jesus' action. This is a sign. This is the Lord we worship. He is responding to a man's misery. He is responding to a man's shame, the shame of daily having to ask 
uh, alms just to live. This man's hopelessness. He has no hope. There's no medical help for him. He has no hope of ever working and providing for himself. Uh, He is hopeless. He is poor. And Jesus enters into his world and restores him, and everything is changed. This is the heart of the Lord towards people in need. This is the mercy and the compassion of Jesus on this day to single him out and to heal him. It's It's a wonderful, wonderful picture of the heart of our Lord. It's a, it's a sign, it's a wonder, it's powerful, but it's also just a, a reflection on who Jesus is. This is how Jesus uh, acts mercifully towards those in need. Now, if we zoom out beyond his particular experience, if we zoom out, we see that there's probably a theological reason that Luke gave us this account. Uh, the, the chapter before says many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles while they're in Jerusalem. We don't get a lot of them. We, we get, you know, a little bit. We get this. They're about to leave Jerusalem, or some of them are. So we know many things happened. So Luke is a historian. What he writes is true, but it's a selective history. It's a theological history. He's trying to make a point here. And, and I think one of the points he makes here is that this reflects the coming of the Messiah. This was prophesied, that when the Messiah came, that he would change everything, and that he would be, when the Messiah came, things would happen that would begin to be a foretaste of what ultimately is going to happen. So Isaiah has this passage where he says, there's coming judgment, and there's coming new creation. He's, he's writing to Israel, and he's telling them there's coming a judgment, and there's coming a new creation, and this is what the new creation is going to be like. We have this for you, Isaiah 35, verses 4 to 6. This is what Isaiah writes. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. So to a people that are battered down because of their sins, he says, God's coming to bring judgment. There's a day coming, the day of the Lord, he'll bring judgment. Then he says this, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The picture of a lame man leaping is a sign of the new creation. And so by recording this miracle, he's telling us that while we are not fully in the new creation, uh, we are not in the new heaven and the new earth yet, we're getting a foretaste of it now. And the foretaste of it now is the restoration of this man. One day, God will restore all things. But that starting at the day of Pentecost, the restoration is beginning. And so these signs and wonders, these works of the Spirit, while they are real and meaningful for the people who receive them here and today as well, they point to a greater day where there will be no lame people, but all will have uh, spiritual bodies, all in Christ, all believers will find themselves whole and restored. And this is an evidence of that. It's an evidence of Christ's compassion, but it's also a foretaste of all that is to come. Endless joy that comes through restoration. And this is just a picture of it right here. It's just a little foretaste. Well, after this, we see Peter stand up and announce arguably a greater miracle. So let's read from 11, verse 11, to the end of the chapter. 
While he clung, the man, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at this as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as also did as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that this Christ would suffer, suffer thus he fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant uh, that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you away from your wickedness. Well, this is the greater miracle. He's proclaiming what Christ has done. It's found in the good news of Jesus. So Peter immediately focuses everyone, their attention on Jesus. Like Pentecost, something amazing happens. Everybody's looking. What's going on? And they are, verse 11, utterly astounded. Utterly astounded is what it says. He, he instantly wants to make it very clear the source of what has happened. So in verse 12, Peter says to the men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at this as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? He's saying this is not our power or our piety. We don't have the power to make a person walk who cannot walk. We cannot miraculously heal someone, nor do we have the piety. Do not think that our holiness has somehow compelled God to act on this guy's behalf. This is really important for us to get. It is not the power, it is not the piety of a leader that makes a difference in someone's life like this. That's so important. Sometimes today, oftentimes today, when something amazing is happening in a church or something amazing is, you know, happening among believers, there is this this undue, inappropriate credit that is given to leaders. 
and uh, people are profiled and platformed because they've done this or they've done that, and something great happens in their conference, uh, in their church, and they host conferences to explain how you can uh, find the secrets that I know and, you know, did in our church. And the reality is in the influencer culture, in the celebrity-based culture that we live in, the church just embraces uh, and this isn't new, but just embraces the ideology of the world. We're looking for someone. We're looking for someone that says, I, I am with him or I am with her. We're looking and, and we, are, we are impressed. We're enamored with people that are gifted or knowledgeable. We're enamored with people that are charismatic in both the spiritual gift sense and in the personality sense. We're, we're enamored with personalities, people that are forceful and insightful people that are creative, even people that are holy. Even, wow, that person is just so amazing and holy. And, and uh, I'm not saying it's, it's appropriate to respect someone and, and learn from someone, of course, but, but not this sort of undue thing. And, and so Peter makes very clear that, that what is happening here is not my doing. This is about Jesus. Now, sometimes the sentiment can be like cheesy. I'm not saying go overboard with this. I mean, I heard the story about the guy who's playing piano at church, and someone comes up to him afterwards and say, wow, that's amazing. You play so beautifully. And, and the guy says, oh, no, not that. That's not me. That's the Lord playing. To which the guy says, no, I think the Lord would play a lot better than that. Uh, <laughs> so it's not some kind of, oh, no, no, you know, just say thank you and move on, Okay. <laughs> don't get hyper, some of our hyper spiritual nonsense is so unhelpful, but that kind of, I'm, I'm not talking about that, but I am talking about this. When everybody's gathered and gawking, Peter, whoa, what, what did you guys do? Say, this is the Lord that did that. It is giving credit where credit is due. And it's realizing what he's saying here. It's not our power. It's not our piety that God does not work through human strength. God works through human weakness. God works through human weakness. God does not work through our holiness as if we earn something. Now, we, we want to be godly, and leaders are required to be godly to lead. And yet, it's not a person's holiness that God works through. It's Jesus' holiness that God's work. It, this happens in the name of Jesus, not the name of Peter. It is in the Holy One Christ that he works through. So it is through our weakness that God shows his power, not our power. It is through our power that God resists us, actually. He gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud, the Bible says. And so we can rely on our strength, or we can rely on the power of Christ. And Paul, Peter from the get-go is saying here, why, why are you looking at us? It almost sounds terse. I'm sure he wasn't said rudely, but we look at us. We didn't have anything to do with it. I mean, I, I don't think he said it with that tone, but he does say, why are you looking like it's our power and it is our piety? I read a story. I, I assume it's true. I've heard it before. Uh, it, I didn't get it off the internet, so it's, it's not, uh, it could be apocryphal, but it's a great story. Uh, in the 13th century, the church was very corrupt uh, very materialistic. Uh, however, one great theologian of that time was named Thomas Aquinas, and Thomas Aquinas was going to visit uh, Pope Innocent II, and uh, during this time of very much compromised church, 
uh, worldly church, wealthy church. He comes into Pope uh, Innocent II, and the Pope is actually uh, surrounded by a great amount of wealth, and actually happened to be counting money uh, when Thomas Aquinas came in, and uh, the Pope said to Thomas Aquinas, uh, no longer do we say, uh, no longer does the church say, silver and gold have I none. Uh, To which Aquinas said, yes, Father, but neither can the church say, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And his point was that you can trust human resources or you can trust Jesus, but you can't trust both at the same time. You can rest on your resources, or you can look to him. And this is what Peter is wanting us to know. It is Jesus that has healed this man. And then he immediately transitions, just like at Pentecost, and he, he, he focuses on the people's rejection of their Messiah. In verses 13 through 15, he says three times. This is bold. This is really bold. You delivered over and denied Uh, you know, Jesus in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. Then he says, you denied the holy and righteous one, speaking of Jesus. Then he says, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Three times. He says, God raised him, and now in his name, this man has been given perfect health. Verse 16. He is healed through faith in the name of Jesus. Now, the name of Jesus is not a magical incantation, He's not just tossing out the name of Jesus, and we're going to get to a story later that proves that. Later in Acts, there's the, the seven sons of a guy named Siva, uh, and they are trying to cast out demons using the name of Jesus, but they're not believers in Jesus. And the story goes that the demons leap out of somebody, leap on the seven sons of Siva, beat them up, strip them naked, bloody them, and they walk out naked and bleeding. So it didn't go well for them using the name of Jesus. It's, it's not an incantation. Uh, Jesus, it, it's, it's, it's faith in Christ, Peter says, that frees this man. And get this, it's faith in his name, he says, but it's not the man's faith, evidently. It's Peter's faith. Such grace here that this guy is just sitting begging, looking at them, and he says, in the name of Jesus, walk. This is grace. God just releases and frees the lame man who is not actively trusting Christ. There's nothing that communicates that, but Peter is, and he does this great miracle for him. Peter then tells them that they should respond uh, because they have rejected Jesus. So in verses 19, he says, re- verse 19 says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive. So he, he tells them three things here. You've rejected the Messiah, so now repent, which means turn. Turn to him and believe. And here's what will occur. Number one, your sins will be blotted out. You've rejected Christ, which is your greatest sin, but you have, we all have other sins that stem from our rejection of Jesus. And he says that if you will turn to him, believe in him, your sins will be blotted out. We, we might say it this way, your slate will be wiped clean. You'll get a reset. I mean, this is just such good news Good news, you rejected him, but it's not too late. You can repent and your sins will be wiped away. And the same is true for us today. If you're here today and you're not, you've never met Christ, you're not a believer in Christ, 
You can have all of your sins forgiven. You can have your conscience cleansed. You can receive new life. You can be indwelt by the very presence of God, the Holy Spirit, to come live in you, to give you eternal life. This is what he is talking about. Um, Secondly, he says, for the one who turns to Christ, that times of refreshing, your sins will be blotted out, verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing. The the word refreshing here is sometimes translated, um, uh, it is relief. It's a relief. It's a renewal. It's specifically talking about blotting out their sins. It's probably a relief from an obligation that we have before God. Your debts are forgiven. You are relieved of all of the burden that you carry whether you know it or not. They're aware of it in this moment because they rejected the Messiah. But you are relieved of that. There is, there is no relief like the sole relief of having our sins forgiven. There is no relief. Now, the problem is most of the world and many of us don't realize the burden that we have. We don't realize we have a very tame view of God. We don't see God as holy and perfect and requiring the same of us. And so we don't really see this that we're under the just judgment of God. We don't see that I deserve the wrath of God. We're not aware of how great a debt we owe to God. And so forgiveness feels like uh, Jesus died for me. Well, why wouldn't he? I'm a wonderful person, right? And that's how we view things. Who could blame him? That's, uh, we wouldn't say that, but that's how we live. Like, uh, you know, it's all about me. Everything centers around me, and we affirm that in the, in the youngest age, to the youngest age on, that it's all about you. And so because we lack awareness of the holiness of God, that we, all, we don't sense the time of refreshing and the relief like it really is. But I'm convinced if we could see Jesus right now in all of his blazing holiness and could see the debt of sin, could see the, the, the evil of our rebellion, could see how horrendous it actually is, and to see that we are forgiven all of that, we would have an indescribable, refreshing relief of a burden like we could not imagine. Relief from our debt. This is the greater miracle. It's wonderful that a a disabled man is running around leaping. Wonderful. But it's far greater to have one's sins blotted out and to experience refreshing in God. Now, it's not just for the new convert. He's calling them to believe. But for us as well, who, if you're already a Christian, for us as well, we we need this kind of refreshing. We need this the, the sense of joy and gratitude where we move from not taking Jesus for granted, not becoming overly familiar with the cross, but but aware of what we have done because we rejected Jesus. And by our sins, it was our sins that rejected Jesus that, that, that put him on the cross. This was our doing. And when we are aware of that and aware of what Jesus has done for us, there comes a renewal and a refreshing that puts everything else in perspective. It puts all of our problems in perspective. Listen, I don't know what you're struggling with today. There are real, there's real suffering in the room. And there are real problems in the room. But let me tell you, there is no greater problem than how you will answer before the holy God of the universe when you stand before him as a sinner. You have no problem that even 
measures at all compared to that great dilemma, that great problem. How will I be able to give an account for my life before the holy God of the universe? You cannot, I cannot. The only answer is that I'm in Jesus. I've believed in him and he's taken my sins. That is the only, only answer. And so we've been relieved of that burden. We've been relieved of that problem. That greatest problem is solved. And when we see it, though we still have problems, though we still have sufferings, they're put in perspective. And it stirs hope. Romans 8 says that if he has met our greatest need, will he not take care of all of our lesser needs? So today, here, if you're a believer in Jesus, here's your situation. Your standing has changed. You are not under the wrath of God. You are under the love and mercy and grace of God. There's no better news than that. There is no condemnation for you. If you are in Christ Jesus today, you are welcomed before a throne of grace. Everyone will stand before a throne of judgment. But if you have believed in Jesus today, you are before a throne of grace. And more than that, you are called and welcomed into a throne of grace. You have been reconciled to your father. You are the prodigal who comes home and God embraces you and celebrates your return. The story of the prodigal son, there is, there is this love of God the Father. You've been reconciled. You are more loved by God than you can ever imagine. And get this, you cannot be more loved by God tomorrow than you are today. You cannot be more loved than you are by him right now. He's not waiting to love you and waiting on a future version of yourself that's more holy. No, he loves you now with an everlasting love, the scripture says. He loves you as much as he loves his own son. He loves his son, my beloved son, and we are in Christ. And so you are loved in a way, and it will not leave. His, His love is eternal, You can't be more acceptable to God than you are today because your acceptance is based on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And this, this is the heart of refreshing, to experience, to know this, to live in the good of this. That's why every Sunday we have to hear the gospel. That's why most every Sunday we receive the Lord's Supper as well because we need this constant, constant reminder because I can forget all I'm saying here in about two hours in this afternoon when something doesn't go my way. I'll, I'll wait till after the picnic. But after the picnic, I can forget it all. Like, God, what happened, you know? So we have to be reminded of this truth. The times of refreshing, the Spirit is the one who brings the refreshing, tied to the death and resurrection of Jesus. So this is the refreshing for our weary, dry, empty, burdened hearts. I can't give you five tips to live a better life. I can only, not only, I can gloriously point you to Jesus and say, He is the remedy for your dry soul. He is your time of refreshing. He goes on to say that he will send Christ as well. Verse 20 says he will send Christ the appointed one. Now Christ has already come, so he's talking about this return that Jesus will come and restore all things. In verse 22 and 23, he makes a a warning. He says to them, you know, um, Moses and the prophets have said that if you reject him, you will be destroyed. That's That's what the text said. So he warns them of judgment. And then in verse 26, it says, you do not have to suffer the judgment. Verse 26, the final verse, God raised him up, 
uh, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. You know what blessing is? Blessing is to be turned from wickedness. We believe the lie that if I had the freedom to do what I want, that in sin, there's somehow real life. Sin pulls us. Greed and lust and pride, it pulls us and says, man, if you can have this, you have real life. And he said, no, the ultimate blessing is to be turned from wickedness and turned to Jesus Christ. And note, Peter, the scripture is just does not play. It does not play. He is saying, you rejected Jesus, you are wicked. And I believe that Jesus was winsome and, and loving and merciful or else children wouldn't run to him and uh, sinners and tax collectors or prostitutes wouldn't want to have lunch with him. So I believe he was warm and engaging and winsome and at the same time spoke the truth that outside of Christ, we are all wicked. Actually, we're wicked in Christ, but we're forgiven and declared righteous uh, before him. And this is what he says. It's a wonderful chapter, isn't it? It shows that only Christ can blot out our sins so that we are refreshed like a lame man leaping. Only Christ, this is the point of the chapter, only Christ can blot out our sins so that we are refreshed like a lame man leaping. And I think that just as he leapt and celebrated his physical healing, God calls us to celebrate our spiritual healing, our renewal, our our new life in Jesus. So if you're here today and uh, you're not a believer in Jesus or you're watching us online and you're not a believer in Jesus, um, I would call you to turn in faith and receive a refreshing in your soul, to have your slate wiped clean, to receive new life in Christ. He is no respecter of persons. If you come to him and turn from your sin, uh, grieve over your sin, and turn to him for forgiveness, he will grant it. The scripture says, Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will never turn away. If you come to him in faith, he will not cast you out. He will receive you. So we call you to do that today, to receive refreshing. And secondly, if you are a Christian today, um, we look to the day he will restore all things, but we receive that refreshing afresh today. Sometimes I realize there are a lot of reasons we can feel weary in our soul, burdened. Um, there, There are a lot of reasons, but I find one for me is I am just not living with an awareness of the cross and what Jesus has done for me. I'm not living with an awareness of really how serious my rejection of the Lord is, how serious my idolatry is, and yet the Lord has saved me, declared me righteous, loves me, accepts me in Christ um, it's just a, oftentimes a lack of the grace of God, a lack of an awareness of the grace of God. So in a moment, we're going to receive communion, but we want to come back today to him, to come back to what it is. This is, uh, we don't need our human power. We don't need our human piety to make things all right. We need the power and the holiness of Jesus and his grace for us today. This is what grace is all about. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. Man, that's not like us. You do us wrong, we're going to hold it over your head for a while, right? That's how we can tempted, be tempted to be. And after you've sat and stewed in it a little bit, okay, then we can make up. No, that's not God. Mercy is fresh. Every morning you wake up as a Christian, fresh mercy today. Fresh mercy.
that is refreshing. That's what grace is all about. And while I think the chapter ultimately points to the blotting out of sins and refreshing and the restoring of all things, let's not forget the man's story. God today is healing people's bodies. God today is working in powerful ways. It's, it, it, he, he'll heal every soul that comes to him in faith and repentance. But he frequently heals bodies. Not, not always. We will all die at some point. Um, so not everybody is healed. And they don't go to everyone in the temple and tell everybody in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. As apostles in this moment, they just must have some prophetic knowledge or understanding that this is what God wanted to do for this person. But they didn't heal everybody, at the, or God didn't heal everybody at the temple through them. So God doesn't always heal. We believe in the sovereignty of God, and God does what God wants to do. But God does want to heal. And so we also don't want to just look at this and say, oh, isn't that a nice picture of being born again. It's a glorious picture of being born again. And it's also a picture of the merciful Jesus who intervenes to people's physical suffering and heals them, sometimes by medical means, sometimes by miraculous means, because God uh, is still the same today. So we also want to be praying for, for one another in this way too, if you have some kind of a physical healing. So we're going to receive communion, but the, at the end of the service, there'll be a number of us down here, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, pray for you to help you understand what it means to meet Christ uh, or to pray for physical healing as well. We read this text and we say, Lord, may it be in our midst. May you save the lost. May you heal the sick. May you encourage all. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org. 